0: Hey everybody, welcome back for season two of the Broken Banquet Podcast. This season we've got more interviews with missionaries around the world, more interviews with authors who have written amazing books about missions, and more conversations about what it means for us to abide with one another. And yes, probably a story or two about Ashley taking a walk, eating food, or having drinks with someone who she now loves. We're so glad you're back. We're glad to be back. And we hope that you will enjoy this episode. Well, so before we, we get into the interview, I just want to if kind of back up just a little bit and say we are on location for the first time ever. Yes. Filming recording. An episode of the Broken Banquet podcast. I'm not in Costa Rica. You are not in Shreveport. We are in Auckland, New Zealand. Yes. We traveled collectively almost uh, 20,000 miles to get here. Yeah, we did. So here we are on location. It's a rainy day in New Zealand.
1: You know, every time I've ever been to New Zealand, it's been sunny and beautiful.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. My fault. (laughs) (laughs) It rains a lot in New Zealand. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you definitely have. But we've been here for a couple of days now. We've had an opportunity to worship in a church here that was fantastic. And we've been surrounded by lovely people. So in spite of how chilly and rainy it's been, we've felt very warm and welcome. And I'm thankful for the way that we've been received and the time that we've already gotten to spend with people who you love and people who I'm getting to love so far. We'll see. We've mm. got a few more days to be here, but it, can never it's talk. looking good so far. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, welcome everyone to the Broken Banquet podcast on location in Hobsonville, Hobsonville slash Auckland, New Zealand.
1: Do you know what my favorite part about yesterday was?
0: What was your favorite part about yesterday?
1: Yes, we worshiped and Jesus was present and hmm. alive and active. But two people at Church Northwest came up to me and said, Are you Ashley from The Broken Banquet? Yeah.
0: You know how many people came up and said to me, are you Will from The Broken Banquet?
1: I did say to everyone.
0: Zero. The answer to that is zero.
1: (laughs) I did say to everyone, guess who else is here? Will's here.
0: It might be because on my name tag it said Will and then underneath it in parentheses it said I'm unapproachable. (laughs) That might be why. But I'm glad that your, your podcast name is Ashley and I can just ride your coattails.
1: Hey, Will, guess he's on the Broken Banquet podcast today.
0: Who's on the Broken Banquet podcast?
1: Mickey and Randall Brothers.
0: Mickey and Randall, thank you guys so much for being on the Broken Banquet podcast. Great to be here. Yes. Yeah.
1: Do you know what I want to start with?
0: Tell me, Ashley, what do you want to start
1: with? Let me tell you how I first met Mickey and Randall. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, do you remember our friend named uh, John Woodward? Uh, of course. Right. So John Woodward and I had taken a walk, and then one day we decided that we wanted to be partners in Ministry for Life. And he said, hey, I'm going to be the new executive director of South Pacific Christian Fellowship. And I said, awesome. Does that mean I get to go to Australia and New Zealand? And so, yes, I get to go to Australia and New Zealand for the very first time. You should have seen me. I was like a five-year-old waiting to go on, you know, my first ice cream store trip. So we arrive in New Zealand And we get picked up by Randall. And it was wonderful. I don't remember anything about that day, but I do remember that he took us to a hotel.
0: Sorry, Siri is dictating everything that you're saying like you're asking Siri a question. So I don't know we just want to let Siri roll with it and see what she's going to recommend you do. No, she says, sorry, I'm not sure about
2: this. I'm not sure about him either.
3: I'm just glad you guys are very professional about that. Yeah,
2: what, this whole
3: <laughs> lock, lock. casual
2: but not tangible, It's really I'm I'm see the the borders of it's that.
3: Very relaxed. We've been accused
0: of a lot of things. Professionalism <laughs> and smart really
2: to...
1: <laughs> So I don't remember anything else about that day except for this wonderful, lively, amazing human being named Mickey. Soon came to our hotel, maybe to pick us up for dinner. I loved our time together because we had a meal. Uh, We walked in the parking lot, so that was a walk.
0: Did you have drinks?
1: I don't think we had a drink, but I got to get to know these these couple of people named Randall and Mickey Brooks, and guess what? What, Ashley? We're in New Zealand now, and they're sitting right in front of us.
0: Wow. Well, hey, welcome to the Broken Banquet podcast, wonderful people who have shared meals and walks and other fun stuff with Ashley.
3: How are you? Doing great. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful day in New Zealand. That's a, a typical day in New Zealand. Typical rainy day in New Zealand. You
2: just get used to the rain.
3: You know the name for New Zealand in Maori? No. Nope. Aotearoa, which means the land of the long white cloud. Mm. Oh. There you go. There you go. Yeah, to Welcome yes. to Aotearoa.
1: <laughs> listeners, if you could look out our window right now, it is just a long white cloud. <laughs> That's
0: pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. So
3: tell us a little bit about who you are. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are. Well... It's been mentioned my name is Randall, but actually, my name is Randy yes. from America. Would you
1: please tell them what it all means? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, uh, Randy in Old English means something different. And when we first arrived in New Zealand 20 some years ago, uh, the older people just couldn't say the name Randy. So they'd
2: blush and giggle.
3: So there's an All Blacks player, a rugby player that was famous named, named Tane Randall. So I thought, oh, Randall, Randall will work, so they can just call me Randall. And so I've always kind of been known as Randall in New Zealand, but my given name is Randy Noel Brooks out of America. And uh, Mickey loves my name.
2: I do. I do. It's one of the first things I realized about him, because I knew what Randy meant from growing up in South Africa, which, can I say it? Yeah. Okay. It means horny. Yes. And Noel, you know, in French, if you put a little thingy on it, Mm -hmm. is Christmas while brooks in Afrikaans is actually woman's underwear. So put it all together and you have horny Christmas panties. Wow. I married horny Christmas panties. It is a wonderful icebreaker. It makes him very approachable and it's how we start moose parties.
3: I just put that on my name tag and, <laughs> Yeah, very approachable.
2: But that doesn't say who you are.
3: I'm just a guy hanging out in Auckland, New Zealand with my wife, Mickey. We first came to New Zealand in 1997 in uh, January of 1997, when I was 26 years old, to be the expert in discipleship in small groups wow. because I had gone to a small group training seminar one afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then I came to New Zealand as the expert. You were <laughs> qualified. So I was very qualified for that. Yeah. Yeah. But thankfully, uh, God wanted to plant a uh, church here in Auckland in spite of us. And so it happened.
1: And you're from Colorado.
3: I'm from Colorado Springs originally, Yeah, Then I went off to a small Bible college in Nebraska called Nebraska Christian College.
1: Is that where you met someone?
3: I will let Mickey share that story with you. But yes, I met my lovely wife at Nebraska Christian College. Her dad had come back to be the uh, missions professor at Nebraska Christian College. I met Mickey the summer before she started school, you know, because I needed to get a head start on all the other guys. Tell us who you are.
2: So I'm, I'll am call myself a global girl. I was raised in South Africa as a missionary kid, born in the great state of Minnesota, as you can tell by my accent. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my parents, when I was seven and my brother was five, were invited to come to South Africa and work. And this was during an apartheid in South Africa. So basically all of my formative years were during an apartheid in South Africa, which sets some interesting things in your heart and mind. But it also makes you a third culture kid, which... You know, it's a little on the different side, and that's okay. And we're going to get back to all of that. Okay. So. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. This is the shortened version then. Mm-hmm. Um, so being a food culture kid, having a real heart for Africa, my plan at 18 years old, because I knew all the things, was to go to America to Bible College and get a husband, because that's where I was told you get the good ones, mm-hmm. and go back to Africa. Now, this is early 90s, so I was going to open an AIDS orphanage because Southern Africa, this was the age of AIDS babies. And um, God had some very different plans for me, because the <laughs> summer before I started school, I met this incredible man and felt deeply in love. Um, his only flaw was that God had called him to be an American preacher, and he had no plans to lead the United States of America.
0: And his name meant horny Christmas
2: panties. And his name meant horny Christmas panties. That should have been the first sign. Um, but like I said, it makes him approachable. Um, and so I dove right in. And... Um, I actually had to pray about it. I took a week. I prayed. I cried um, and just had this real sense of peace that if God could equip me to open an orphanage in Africa, he probably could equip me to be an American preacher's wife.
3: I sat her down one afternoon on campus. I could still picture the bench we sat on there (laughs) on the campus. And I needed to have this very serious conversation with her because I could tell she had in mind going back to Africa. And I was like, I ain't doing that. So Literally, I ain't doing that. You
2: were in charge.
3: So I sat her down and said, you know, Mickey, if you're going to marry me, you need to realize that we're never leaving the United States of America.
2: Mm. Man, you're so good. Weight <laughs> boundaries. Weight boundaries.
3: Great. Then she burst into tears They cried for about a week. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then we um, ended up at um, ICOM, which was the missionary convention back then. And this was a couple months after that. And Randy had just... He was exposed to a God that you just don't always hear about in um, our Midwestern churches. And this God was working all over the world, and he was doing all of these cool and incredible things. And actually, our view of God can be as big as God can be, which means there's really no limits. And we wanted to be a part of that. To this day, he still gives me a hard time because you know, at the end, they always invite you to come and give your life to missions. And he goes, let's do it. And I said, you said we were staying here.
3: <laughs> so so yeah, twenty-eight that's years blind yeah.
2: to God. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so yeah, he's never given his life to a world missions. Twenty-eight
3: yeah. years of missions I've never actually dedicated my life to missions. There's still time.
2: <laughs> next phase. next phase. Yeah, and it wasn't too long after that they were invited to church plant in Auckland, New Zealand. I had to look it up in the map, didn't know where it was. Um, but we knew exactly where it was. And so it's been quite the adventure since then.
3: Mm, they have.
0: Well, what a privilege to have you guys on the the podcast and just to share your story and and your wisdom and your excitement. Just thank you. Thank you for agreeing to do this kind of out of the blue. We didn't prepare you all ahead of time. I think we just bumped into you in church yesterday and said, hey, we're going to interview you guys tomorrow for our podcast Um, because that's just how Ashley rolls. I work?
1: I like introducing people I love to people I love. So here we are.
0: So as soon as I heard Mickey about your connection to South Africa. I got really excited. I mentioned to you yesterday when we were visiting for the first time and people who have paid somewhat close attention to previous episodes had come up before that I had the opportunity to spend a summer in South Africa while I was in seminary. And it was just incredibly formative in, in how I understand my call into the mission field. And and I had some experiences there that were just they're, they're ingrained into who I am. And and so I, I'm I'm really interested to hear as much as you would be willing to share about your experience as a missionary child in South Africa, also because I'm raising a missionary child of my own. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always interested to hear. I didn't grow up as a missionary kid. I grew up involved in missions, but not as a missionary kid. And so I'm always interested interested in hearing from people who have had that growing up experience. There are times I kind of wonder what are we doing to this child? And so <laughs> all all of that is is fascinating to me. But um, can we go back as far as when your family moved to South Africa to work with a church? What how did that happen? What church were you working with? What was the sort of the situation that, that led to that invitation for your family to Go be missionaries In South Africa
1: Because I did like How you said that That we were invited To come to, to live In South Africa I love the way You said that
0: Yeah we're big fans Of people being invited Into the mission field Instead of just Deciding that A community needs them And going
2: Absolutely Absolutely Yeah Totally how we roll too um, So it was Funny The invitation But the invitation Came from the wrong person And then God issued Another invitation <laughs> As we arrived In South Africa So um, my dad was doing small town, ministry, like Lincoln, Nebraska, and he had done campus ministry and was doing local church ministry. It was a small church, and this missionary came through um, from South Africa and said, oh, we need help, explain the apartheid situation, and um, my dad said yes. Why? You'll have to ask him that. He'd be a great one to interview. But we ended up in South Africa at roughly a year later with not enough money, with not truly understanding where we were going and not fully understanding the invitation we've been issued. So <laughs> we spent the first nine months in South Africa wondering what the heck um, God had called us to and not having enough money to do anything else. And we lived in a halfway house in Hillbrow, which is right down in the city center, known for its crime. Um, and so not a great place to live. But of course I have a child's perspective of our years at Aletheia and my parents, again, will probably give a quite a different picture because I'm sure they were stressed and worried and what to do. But from my perspective, here I was, like the only person of colour that I knew was my little neighbour. Um, and here I was now surrounded by people of different cultures and colours and it was just such a, a fascinating thing and I've always loved music and the music the harmonies oh my goodness so my favorite place was to be in the kitchens while the kitchen staff was washing dishes they would sing and oh it was glorious and so my perspective of those nine months <laughs> probably quite different than my parents and they really quite um stumbled into um or God invited them into um just some ministry that, I don't know that they dreamed up themselves in fact i know for sure they didn't and um, led this on this beautiful adventure and so that first term with no money um just god did some beautiful and gracious things led us to the right spaces and eventually my dad using his academic education came to a space of beautiful ministry leading church leaders but i've totally gotten off topic that's not the Missionary Kid experience. <laughs> we love it. You love it. Yeah, we can good. just listen to you talk all day. I uh, so apologize for that. You can edit all of that out. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, some of the beautiful things about when I was raised on the mission field, because back then you'd do a year-long furler, right? So you're living life, you're doing your thing, and you'll notice I'll switch between accents, people who have an ear. I just use all of them because I don't like to discriminate. Um but like I'm. Pinnacle. Yeah, my mum would say I'd come home and the first few words would be in a quite a thick South African accent and then I'd switch to an American. My friends at school never said the other. I'm assuming I switched in the car because I didn't want them to know that I had both, but it was totally subconscious. And so then you're on furlough with um, in Nebraska where no one understands travel. This is Mm -hmm. like back in the day, guys. Um, This is in the 80s. So no one traveled. No one understood travel. If they'd traveled, I'd been to Hawaii. Teachers didn't understand they had no concept of grace for a child who was only going to be there a year. And because we went in the calendar year, the, we came in halfway through one grade, did summer, halfway through. Like, I just think, man, we do missions so much better. We are so much kinder to our MKs, you know, in this current season. But it does build some things in your tone. Like, it certainly builds a a, a sense of grace. It builds a sense of um adaptability but also just because they treat you badly doesn't mean that they're being unkind it just means that they don't know and so education's always been a huge part of who I am and MKs are just they're just beautiful creatures um we um fit everywhere and fit nowhere um our people are other MKs there is really no country that can claim us fully um even though many have our heart And so raising MKs, like the best thing you can do for MKs is to get them around other MKs. It makes sure that they have community with other third culture kids because they're the only ones that understand their weirdness, Um, but also the only ones that can celebrate who they are. Um, I think of my boys and they're the ultimate chameleons. Uh, You know, they really, they can be friends with anyone. Um, They see the good in everyone, they see the bad, um, and they don't use cultural norms to discern those things. Um, and so they make wonderful friends, but that also means is they're susceptible to things as well. And so um, the spiritual road that MKs travel is um, can be a real challenging one. Be a real challenging one. So we just have to treat them a little bit differently. And then you have MKs raising MKs, and that's just weird upon me. Yeah, and so my boys had no hope. I told them that growing up. <laughs> Sorry, guys.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you if you do much counseling, but um, I'm going to take your number.
2: When we <laughs> sleep.
0: and you may be hearing from us over the next few years absolutely
2: we're... it's one of my favorite things to do yeah
0: well you know and what you were just saying reminds me of one of the reasons why we we just love so much the relationship that our family has with Ashley and her church and it's because not only are have they connected my family to first church but they've also over the last few years connected my family to these other missionary families like the Hutchison's and we've gotten to spend time with them virtually but also physically and that's what i kept telling people before we got together for the first time last year when they were saying what are you guys going to do i said we're just going to go spend time with other families that are kind of weird like us <laughs> that are that get it you know kind of what we go through and it's just a huge huge gift so i can all i can already see why seeking out opportunities for isabella consistently to have Interactions with other children that are just like her is going to be a, um, a blessing for her. So thank you for affirming that and for giving me hope
3: that
1: <laughs> it's not going to be a disaster.
0: She might
3: yeah. be okay.
1: Yeah, it's going to be great.
3: Maybe you guys need to interview our three boys before you go too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're yeah, interviewing uh, Mickey's dad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's
0: right. Yeah, got you. I'm, I'm, right right. I'm
2: on it. i it. Yeah,
0: and pass it
2: oh yeah i think i do i tell um parents all the time of mks they will be the church's greatest weapon if you can keep them in the right headspace yeah yeah because they really do they can be all things to all men like they are paul <laughs> um and so like yeah why why wouldn't the church want to celebrate and hone that and, and appreciate that and, and some of our supporting churches did that really well. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd, the kids would arrive. They know they're only going to be there the one week, but they make sure the kids have the same name tags as everyone else. They make sure that they're greeted and, you know, to fit in, not to stand up, make them stand up front and sing a song in some other language. Please stop doing that if you are doing it. Please. Oh, gosh. Sunday. Okay. <laughs> oh, in okay. am Making notes. There go. What else you got? <laughs> Remember choice kids have mana they have their own you know um they their own set of things and some kids want to do it and others are horrified
0: so how about if we if we switch gears a little bit and i want to talk about or hear you talk about church planting and i'm curious to see just already in my mind if there where are the places where what it means to be a church planter in new zealand sort of intersects or where things that you learned from your experience as a missionary kid and coming in and out of cultures and sort of not being from anywhere but being from everywhere how that intersects with being called to plant churches in new zealand so where do we start where do where does your how,
3: where do you want to start <laughs> well i was just thinking about uh, mickey being a third culture kid because uh i come in from ministry without having any background in ministry My family was just a hardworking family out of Colorado. And uh, I actually was a welder and fabricator working in a big manufacturing shop before I ran off to Bible College. Grew up in the church, but uh, had some bad influences in my young adult years, and also in the welding shop, but at church as well. So so I had a desire to just reconnect with God and and headed off to Bible College. But also I saw on Mickey because she was 18 at the time, I guess. And um I just saw a Mickey of maturity that the other eighteen year olds didn't have. And I was a bit older, so I'd gone to Bible college at twenty one, twenty two or something like that. So um she was just more mature and you could tell that she she knew a little bit more about the world and about life in general. So that drew me to her and we could just talk and I love history and love geography and so loved learning about South Africa. So that drew us together. Um, and I suppose that's probably my story within getting the church planting and church ministry as a whole is just love learning, love growing, just love experiencing new things, love, love, love just different cultures than me and just getting to know people of other cultures. And we had actually gone to South Africa for a week and then did a seven-week internship in Zimbabwe. And so... Um,
2: wait, 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 wait. So you went to Africa? What? We did, yeah. Here's another M.K. tip, guys. If they go to Bible college and they're not going back to their same field, they need to do a visit back. You got to have that closure trip, right? Right on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure we all know these things. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so part cool. of my closure trip, yeah. I was taking my new man so I could show him all the places they grew up. Also very important. Yes.
3: She took her new man who was completely ignorant <laughs> to any other cultures other than Midwest America. And arriving at the airport was just fascinating for me because... It was just a, a sea of people, just so crowded with people, and they were all different from me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then uh, they had these guys saying, just really helpful, nice guys, saying they take our luggage for it. <laughs>
1: Carl, it so helpful.
3: the second words Mickey told me was, keep your mouth shut, I'll do all the talking. <laughs> and she broke out her South African accent, you know, and everywhere we went, oh, South African, you know, yeah. just shake their head because they saw me as just this bumbling American. and um, So it was really just uh, such an eye-opening experience. But the biggest thing that happened in the traveling in Africa was just that I could sit and pray together and read scripture together with people that were completely and utterly different than me. They grew up differently. Different language. They looked differently. Everything was different. But yet we had this one thing in common, and it was just like deeply, you. deeply moving in my life. And while we were in Zimbabwe, we got asked by the church lead church planter if we'd be willing to come to New Zealand. So that's kind of how it came about.
1: My favorite part of any trip that I go on, and I travel a bit, um, is walking into the church or walking into a small group, whatever the case is, knowing I don't speak the language. I don't know the culture as well as I should, but feeling right at home. The minute I
3: there, yeah, that's
1: right. Because we are all, we are all united by this common bond of Jesus, and it's yeah. one of the most beautiful things. No matter where we are in the world,
0: it's an incredible experience. Right. Yeah, yeah. Felt that yesterday, of course, the language was the same, and so that was helpful. But still, and being this far away from home, but feeling at home, and, uh-huh. and <laughs> what a, a miracle and a gift that is for me in South Africa. It was the first time I took communion i was traveling with <laughs> a team esteemed pastor way out in the middle of nowhere i'd only been there for a few weeks so i still wasn't really sure about much of what was going on it seemed like they were choosing to speak all the other 11 languages more than english mm-hmm. so i just had no idea what was going on of course and but when we sat down at the table i was just like oh my gosh and they've been sitting next to me oh. every time i've ever taken communion and, and it changed everything. I mean, it changed what the universal body of Christ means yeah. to me. Yeah. And so now what we're doing in Costa Rica, everything we do in Costa Rica isn't built on top of that understanding of how we're bound to one uh, to mm. communion. And I'm so glad we got we got to take communion yesterday at church. I wasn't expecting it. Sort of program to think first <laughs> Sunday of the month, first Sunday of the month, first Sunday of the month. <laughs> and so when I realized towards the end of it, I was like, wait a minute. It sounds like they're getting ready for us to have... And I look back at the back and saw the plates.
2: Yay! That's <laughs> it Yeah. And I think... I mean, a phrase that we use often in missions is respectfully curious. And curiosity is Rand's secret weapon. Um, he is very curious. Way to go. He, uh, and God's just done this beautiful job of weaving a life of experiences that he can be curious about just about everything and knows just enough to spark conversation just about just about anything um and so when you're church planting and you're meeting people and you're trying to get to know people and you want to be yeah. genuine and it has to be authentic right um just because you have coffee at the same place and talk to the same guy doesn't mean that they actually want to have you as <laughs> someone you know um and so that 100% has been woven into um church planting and that's just naturally who he is <laughs> it's talk about you know we use the scripture from is it John, we Peter and John? They said all that unschooled and ordinary, but they've obviously been with Jesus. Um, at, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's that space of we just we just try to take Jesus wherever we go. Um, but the communion thing is such a huge part. Uh, and I grew up in the townships, not understanding a word of what went on at church for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yet yeah, you knew what was going on at church, right?
0: So church planting.
3: Yeah. Should we talk about that? I'm going
2: to about that. Sounding like, you know, some...
1: like an airplane. am
3: had a, the street sweeper going around. Oh, that's nice. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, it's almost Halloween. We had a big party.
3: There you go.
2: So, so church planting.
3: So we, we came to New Zealand in 1997 <laughs> to launch this new church with a team of uh, four Americans eventually. Um, we had a senior pastor, tr- lead church planter, myself who was doing discipleship, and uh, another guy who was doing the youth ministry and, and another one for worship. And uh, we were here about a year and a half before the church started. But back then, if you put your mindset in a whole a brand new thing of church growth movement that's happening with church planting, and Willow Creek and Saddleback had just written their books, you know, and just were really the main... Yeah, just the main churches on the scene, you know, for church growth. And everybody was kind of in awe of these big mecca churches. And and uh, so we were the first church plant in New Zealand to kind of take that Willow Creek model of seeker-driven, and then you do a believer service later on the evening. And so when we launched in April of 1998 at Easter time, we had 400 people show up on our first Sunday. And we had done... Uh, We'd set out. Well, for one thing, no one was even doing color printing here, so we we came in with all this color printing and all this marketing. We were very. We did things back then that you can never knew, do now because it was just so fresh and new back then, you know. Um, and particularly in New Zealand, it was just this. Uh, it was different than it is now in terms of the size of population and what they were expecting. And so, so we launched and ended up with about two hundred or so, 250 people, maybe kind of from there out and grew this church. But for me and for Mickey and I, it was our first full-time ministry. And so we were jumping into something that was, that's uh, that's with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable to think now
2: was when he was 26,
3: they trusted us for <laughs> leading a church of any kind, but God did some extraordinary things. Amazing life change for us, but amazing life. Lives were changed for Christ in that time as well. and just, um, It was an exciting time, and it was a special time for us, but also a very, very difficult time for us. Mm-hmm. So church planting is um, it's challenging in and of itself. Doing it cross-culturally is another level. And then um, I think back then no one had sport networks in place for missions. Well, we didn't for sure, but I think that... The support networks were really just developing back then as well. So so we didn't have a lot of support on the ground necessarily. So we ended up saying about two years, two and a half years, I think.
2: And we knew we were coming cross-culturally, but because I'd grown up in a Commonwealth country, New Zealand was a Commonwealth country, this felt much more like home than America ever yeah, did for. Sure. Anyway. And so I think we made a lot of assumptions and we do, we fit, culturally we fit very well into New Zealand. But there is still a cross-cultural element as well we had visited a church and a lady came out and i had our, we arrived with a two-month-old as well because we cray-cray um and she said oh what a bonny baby do you feed him yourself and i remember everything going into slow motion going all the words for english i know all the words i actually know the meaning of the words but what the heck is she talking about <laughs> right it was like oh yeah we know we do need to treat it cross-culturally it is cross-cultural even though we may be comfortable and know some things we still have a bit of learning to do
3: but really for mickey this was home for her because she just fit right into the afternoon tea i
2: do morning tea with the tea
3: tea and coffee and (laughs) and for me everything was different again you know for me it's just another foreign country after going to africa i was ready for it but yeah but we explored the city and explored new zealand and just fell in love with the place and the people and and became as much as I could Kiwi, you know, in the sense of just really melding into the culture as much as I could. But even today, you know, Mickey gets asked all the time where she met her American husband. <laughs> and, and we've been here 25, 26, 27 years.
2: No, it'll be 28 next week.
3: Yeah, it was 20, 28 weeks. years. And to this day, I still have people that will proceed to tell me what to expect living in New Zealand because My American accent, so so I'm yeah. like, oh, it's really kind of annoying when I'm with Mickey.
1: I will say that one of the things I I loved about you from the first moment I met you is how much you have embraced uh the culture and your commitment to learning the language of the Maori people, um, and getting into the history and and what that truly means. So, can you tell us a little bit about your journey into uh learning the language and
3: yeah, the journey with language. I wish that I would have started it a lot earlier, but there's really a renaissance of the Maori language within the wider New Zealand culture, only really happening now in the last ten to fifteen years probably. So yeah, it would have benefited me had I really wanted to learn the language to learn it earlier. So but I'm trying to stick it into my brain now. And I've been studying for about well, Mickey and I first took levels one and two, I don't know, five years ago. And I went ahead and pursued it further and have gone over to through level four, but I'm in no way a conversational speaker, but I know a few things and can speak a a few things and memorizing scripture, memorizing the Lord's prayer has made a big difference for me because I knew the English, so I knew all those Maori words right away. So it opened up a whole new level for me just memorizing scripture, but just wanting to Honor the people of the land of New Zealand, the Maori people, and and also I just love learning, love learning about the cultures, the people, and and um, yeah, New Zealand has played such a deep and personal, and special part in our lives, and uh, I wanted to make that part of my life as well. I'm am thinking about what the story you told about the
0: woman asking you if you see your baby,
2: my bunny baby, all by yourself. <laughs>
0: But I was talking to somebody since I've been here. It may have been John Woodward. I think I was commenting on how this. I've never traveled so far away to go somewhere that looks so similar to where I had left from. You know what I mean? And And he was talking about how challenging it is when everything sort of looks the same. And so for the missionaries, it sort of feels the same, kind of feels easy until all of a sudden you crash into something cultural that's not at all the same. And how it's almost... That would, I think, to some degree be harder than going somewhere where you know it's going to look different, it's going to sound different, it's going to feel different. Everything about this place is going to be so different. And so you sort of prepare yourself for that, right? Which has its own challenges, but then it's just a different kind of challenge to go somewhere that looks and feels and sounds so similar, but then all of a sudden you realize that there's stuff that's... I am in a different place. And, And honoring what's different about that place when it's so subtle, but so still important to recognize Because it would be really, we've talked about just minding the missions gap. It's not about saying, you know, there's, there's a difference. Let's just carefully step over it and act like it's there. (laughs) It's about being mindful of that gap. Let's dig into that. difference. And when the differences are subtle, that takes more work. I think it would maybe be, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but would it be easy as a non-New Zealander to just kind of live here and sort of ignore the things that are different, you know? Absolutely. Just go about your business.
2: Absolutely. And because you have so many different cultures represented, it's really easy to find other cultures that align with what you want to do in your Americanness. Um, and ignore the um, indigenous culture um, and certainly ignore just good old-fashioned Kiwis. Um, It's Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's kind of like driving. So we drive on the left over here, which is the right side. Uh, (laughs) And you're fine when you first get here because you concentrate so hard on staying left that you keep reminding yourself to stay left. We always say the danger point is when you think you've got it, that's when you tend to end up driving on the right. The cultural stuff's the same. You arrive, everything looks different. There are some different smells. We do morning tea. Um, they use a few different words and you're fine while you're thinking about it. It's when you get a little bit comfortable and you think, I've got this. That's usually when you step in it or you forget being, to be curious. You forget to... you. This is a lifelong journey. Um, you have to keep learning. We learn new things about... Um, New Zealand and and everyone's different and Kiwis travel a lot and so they pick up a lot across the world as well so you've got kind of base culture and then all the little things that added on top.
3: And Um, cultures change and develop and grow there's so many other cultures influencing New Zealand now so New Zealand itself as a culture is also changing so you kind of have to keep up with that because New Zealand is very far away from anywhere else on the bottom of the globe and out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and They were very far away from accessibility to other things back Mm -hmm. then. But the Internet's changed that globalization. So, yeah, Yeah. but we're still, uh, you know, we're still pretty far away when it comes to if the satellites all go down, you know, we're we're a long way away. Um, I was going to say for culture, though, that the culture usually, um, it doesn't slap you in the face like it does if you go to maybe the developing world cultures or something that's very different from where you come from. Because you're right, New Zealand looks similar to to America, and they drive cars, they live in houses. But the culture creeps up on you, the culture shock side of it creeps up on you and just suddenly hits you. You're in, you're in the store and you can't find what you're looking for. And, you, you know, Mickey just one day just started crying, like, what's going on? <laughs> just can't find what I'm looking for, you know? I got to, Yeah, that's much.
2: I always tell people when they go to the field, like nine months in, you're going to call me. You'll be standing in the supermarket and you can't find something, and you'll be crying. Perfectly normal. I'll walk you through it. We're all good.
0: I know, I know that you you're involved beyond just here in Auckland, right? In in the wider South Pacific area, and I'm curious to know how. Because I'm curious.
1: Curious. He's the curious one.
0: Yeah, that's good. You mentioned things changing. You also mentioned the, the kind of church planting model that you all used 30 years ago, almost 25 years ago when you planted the church here. How much has the mentality around church planting and effective ways to plant churches changed? And how different is it in the different—you you also are, are connected to church planters in Australia— how how different are those models
3: now than they were when you all planned? Shore Community Church? Yeah, studying? we planted, We helped to plant Shore Community Church. And as I said, we stayed about two and a half years and then um, actually moved back to America. And I thought I'd get out of ministry altogether. My father-in-law was
0: that good of an experience for you? It wow.
3: was a tough experience.
2: Great for the start.
3: Uh, the ch- we love the culture and the people, and we were heartbroken to leave because we fit so well into the culture here. Yeah. So we thought we'd given up New Zealand forever and we went back to the States. My father-in-law has always been my mentor and, and person that really helped me learn ministry and missions. And, uh, so he just came alongside me and encouraged me to take some classes at seminary and apply at some churches. And, um, we ended up being, uh, taking our first senior ministry position at a small church north of Cincinnati, and settled in there, bought a house, and thought that would be life for us. And I went to seminary, and Mickey had a three little preacher's boys under five. <laughs> so Mickey was uh, stressed out. <laughs> I was stressed was out. The best so,
1: preacher's wife ever. The bestest.
3: He's always the best. So, But uh, after about, what, three and a half years, we got invited back to New Zealand to look at church planting with a couple that hadn't been here in Auckland with us. So we moved to Dunedin on the South Island to help plant a cell church model type of church as very different kind of church planting for us. But again, I guess I kept up with the season of what was happening in church planting because small groups turned into house churches and cell churches. And so that was supposed to be the very best way to do something. So we launched into that and did that for two years. Then, uh, we were kind of just praying about whether or not that was something we would stay with. And at that time, the lead church planter that we had plant shore with had left. And we were invited back to Auckland to do an interim ministry. So we did that for four years, transitioned over Reuben, who's still there. So I like to say we transitioned shore over to Kiwis. And so it's Kiwi owned and operated now, you know, and that was the goal always with church planting. But in terms of models of church planting um we've been through several ourselves and just Mm -hmm. watching church planting from a distance but also i've been involved with recruiting lots of people to come to new zealand and australia and recruiting church planters and so and mentoring and coaching and Mm -hmm. being involved in all that side so um so watching the evolution of church planting you know in some ways there's really cool things happening now in other ways there's nothing new under the sun you know, in the sense that there's no perfect model, there's no perfect way to go about it. I I read a book on spatial awareness one time, and it's this whole area of academic study and spatial awareness. And for me, that book just really highlighted, like, a healthy church needs to be one where multiple people have multiple ways to connect to God and to one another. And so, in as much as you can do it as a church, providing multiple ways for people to connect. And I think that's important within models, because... With the missional house churching church planting model, I think that can work and does work effectively in many ways, in many places. But the challenge is that providing multiple ways for people to connect to God and one another, because a house church of introverts will never change. Not so, my
2: cup of tea, guys. Not my cup
3: of tea. So, <laughs> you know that I don't think there's one model, but whatever model you start to invest in, just let God work through that and. Not just let God work, but step into where God is already at work in what you're doing.
2: And I think the important thing, and I know you walked a church plant through this, is to not be stuck on your model. You do have to be able to pivot. I mean, our God is not, very rarely does he pick a plan and stick to it, except for the plan. You can never stop listening to what God wants for any particular church plant, because it is his church plant. And the moment you take ownership of it and think that you have the best plan is generally when things go sideways. of that I speak
1: to your whole, uh, what you said earlier about intentionality. So being just so intentional about the differences and knowing every day that you're going into it with an intentionality of saying... I need to be aware of this. I need to be aware of this. I need to be aware of this. Just like when we go into a room, we're like, I want to make sure that I listen well today. I want to make sure that I involve other people today. I want to make sure that I'm listening to God today. Like, what are the things that I need to be intentional about today so that I can move forward well, um, so that I can be a part of this community better, so that whatever the case may be, it's, it's that intentionality. And when we let that guard down and think, oh, I'm good. I got this. I got this, God. That's when we make the mistakes.
2: Well, that's so much in our spiritual life as well, right? <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it adheres to our cultural spaces. And anyone who thinks they're not living cross-culturally, even if you're in the States, people are all different. And if you approach life cross-culturally, man, you just have a beautiful space that the Spirit can wait
3: I think one of the things I've probably seen in church planting, uh, the biggest negative I've seen probably is that people get stuck on a model or they get stuck on a process and they think the process is what plants churches. So it's led to, you know, you can, you can kind of have two churches raise up together. One is of God and one is just out of our making. And they look similar on the outside that what's going on in the inside is going to make all the difference. And so, yeah, being careful to be God-directed within the model because, um, church growth, church planting, all that, they have processes and procedures. And I've had people say, well, we, we know how to plant churches better than anyone else. You do this, 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 <laughs> you get this outcome. And I'm like, well, that is an outcome that you get. But is it of God? That's a whole other question. Well, and you said something a minute ago that I think
0: can sort of come back around to. And it's one of the things I think we want to make sure people here before they engage in in missions in any form is to avoid the mentality of, I am sort of taking what people need to them instead of saying, God is already working in this place. That's it. Yeah. How can we be a part of how God is already moving there? And there may be tools in the form of some sort of model that we've prepared for that we take with us, but that can't become more important than how God is already working there. So it's how do we become
3: I think that's the greatest challenge that we all have is paying attention to what God is already doing and secondly, being willing to break our schedule and step into what he is doing. I do think rather than seeing ourselves as church planters, we should see ourselves as missionaries and going into the culture as missionaries who are there to fulfill the great commission, you know, make disciples. And by making disciples, we let the church grow up out of that because I think in some ways, church planting in and of itself is getting it backwards. If we we're not to, called to we're not called to plant churches, we're called to make disciples. It's interesting, it reminds me
0: of the conversation we had with Brian Fickert not long ago because I was saying I'm constantly frustrated with the fact that when people hear that our ministry, we do short-term mission trips in Central America, and it's just like we're this giant bulls outford. <laughs>
2: What's to say about that? Come on now. And so then
0: and so, but I described to to Brian Fickert what a a week in Costa Rica with us looks like for members of Ashley's church. And he's like, Yeah, you should call that something different. (laughs) So what do we call it, right? What do we what could a name change be in our situation that keeps us from being thrown into this basket that we don't belong in? What kind of a name change can you come up with for church planters? that that focuses more on the cultivating of and making disciples rather
3: than i'm the guy that shows up with the seeds i suppose you need to call it cultivating ministry there you go yeah you, a problem? you
1: heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> I Heard on your experiments
3: <laughs> but uh yeah that's big on my heart is you know church planting does kind of get it backwards in that sense. Well, guys,
0: what a wonderful surprise to get to spend the morning with you all. And and I'm so fortunate that because I'm just riding Ashley's coattails, I get to meet all these people that she loves and get brought into that family. But um, I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you all this morning, and I'm so excited that the folks who listen to The Broken Banquet are going to get to know you as well. We would love to see you in Costa Rica sometime or wherever else our paths might cross. Um, but, yeah, thank you for taking the time on this beautiful um new zealand morning when you could have been doing anything else and you decided to come and sit in our mobile studio with
2: us. look i grew up in africa and rain is a sign of god's blessing on an event and so i was so glad that god rained on this morning so just take it as god's blessing yeah. on what you're doing and yeah thank you for the conversation thank you for the conversation thank you for saying yes
3: would you like me to share a bible verse in maori yes. you love that blessing all of yeah. it yeah yeah it's romans twelve nine that says uh let your love be genuine hate what is evil and cling to that which is good
1: cling friends thank you mickey thank you randy great to be here You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast.